This is Faith in Your Recovery. I'm Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Today's guest, Eric Maitland. Eric is in the battle with us as well. Through his 2-8 ministries, his team, his united communities, and empowering local recovery efforts throughout the state of Indiana. I've had the pleasure of knowing Eric for several years, and together we partnered on more than one event. Eric, thanks for joining us. It's an honor, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Appreciate you taking this chunk of your Friday morning to join us. So, please share with us a little bit of your background with our listeners, please. Yeah, we'd love to. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I am the founder director of 2-8 Ministries. It's a nonprofit that uses uh, does music with a mission is what we say. We call ourselves musicianaries. And so for the first uh, four or five years, my wife Jillian and I, we lived out of RVs and we would travel around the country and use music as a way of bringing people together around, you know, faith, hope and love, the message of Christ and often worked with recovery efforts as well, especially focused on youth and prevention because my wife Jillian is someone who came out of substance abuse disorder too and lost her her little brother Brian to a drinking driving accident when um, when we were about to get married and so that's just something we've always had a passion for helping young people get free from addiction and that that took us around the world we've done school assemblies and youth camps and street outreaches in places like Jamaica and El Salvador and uh, China and Russia uh, India, Germany, just a lot of different places. It's been neat how music will take you around the world sometimes. And so that's just the way that we kind of start the conversation is through concerts, events, music, things like that. So who penned the word musicianaries? I like that. <laughs> I wish it was mine. Uh, I stole it from oh. the, the the mothership agency we worked <laughs> under for the first 10 years, GTM, Global Training Ministries, out of Indianapolis. We uh, we learned how to do this under, under their leadership and guidance, and they used to smuggle New Testaments in their in their PA system overseas. They'd go into communist countries and they'd take the grill off their speakers and pack them with Ukrainian New Testaments when you couldn't get Bibles in. And they, they had a crazy, you know, 30-some year ministry of doing stuff like that around the world. So we stole that label. We love that. Oh, it fits so well. That <laughs> explains itself as it goes. And it's got a tune to it as it does right. it. And I like that. Okay. Hey, let's go back even a little bit earlier in life. Where'd you go to high school? What were your high school days about? Yeah. What was your focus yeah. in early life before you moved to this? And explain to us how you got moved, you know, by God to go in this Absolutely. direction. Absolutely. Well, you, you have a part to play in that, too. I am born and raised in Portland, Indiana, which is, uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with Portland, Indiana, everyone thought I, I was from Oregon when I went to IU. Uh, Portland, Indiana is between Muncie and Fort Wayne. And I, I loved growing up in a small town, loved it, had so many great friends that I still have today. And just, um, you know, just down the street from you <laughs> up there in Red Key. And so, yeah, grew up and went to high school there and then went to Indiana University after high school. And that's where I really started to, uh, I, I guess, find my own faith. You know, it wasn't the faith that was given to me by my family or the traditions. It was it was my own faith that I wrestled with because I really needed it. I was trying to find my identity and my purpose and, and everything else. And it just it left me so empty 
uh, that boy, when I found, you know, my, my old roots again, it, it just, it changed me from the inside out. It set me on a different trajectory and I wanted to share that freedom and that hope and that purpose with, with others and, uh, went from a, a fraternity that it was pretty common for about everybody every week to be doing all kinds of substance abuse, <laughs> you know, what fraternities are known for it. So it was, a it was an interesting environment to be taking my first big steps of faith and leading a Bible study. And um, eventually went from there. I moved to Rajasthan, India for a year uh, to do some work with, with missions over there. And, and it, actually, your church helped send us on that trip. <laughs> so I recall It was so that. cool. Went back to, uh, to Jay County and, and literally was so um, just supported by, by local churches. I had no idea what would, would get behind us with that mission. It was, so, it was intimidating to try to raise $25,000 and never raise any money in your life to try to go overseas to a people group that hadn't been reached to the gospel before. And it just really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, you know, it was a great year, great experience, came back. And that's really where we launched into this. And I met my wife, Jillian, who really had a heart for helping people, you know, get free from substance abuse because she came out of that. Uh, she had only been three years sober when I met her. And um, it's just so neat to see in the years that we've done this, oh my goodness, it started in 2005 doing this work and, and to have seen so many lives change. That's what I love about the work that you do with the Better Life Brianna's Hope is, is oftentimes when God gets a hold of somebody's life and heart, he doesn't just help that one person. There's this wake of healing that happens in their wake as they find their, their process and their journey, others get on board and they help the others. And I love seeing that chain reaction. We need it really bad right now with what's going on with the overdose epidemic, reaching higher numbers last year than we had ever seen before at the height of the opioid epidemic. We lost over 70,000 American lives in 2017 to overdoses, fatal overdoses. 2019, we lost even more, but we never got anywhere much higher than 70,000, which is already so many people. To put that in scale, that's a 737 going down every single day. Yesterday, today, it's going to happen again tomorrow. But when 2020 hit and isolation hit, we cleared 90,000 fatal overdoses that year. And so you want to talk about a time where we really need people in recovery to step up and be on the front lines and to help the next person find their faith and their healing journey. We're, we're in that place right now. It's scary. I know uh, it's had to be the same for you. I've lost many friends. Mm-hmm. I've lost family members, yes. loved ones, those from the church, those outside the church, yep. those who just, you know, uh, you'd spoken to the day before and suddenly that relapse or that next bad choice leads to the last breath. Yeah. 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 And as you explained there about the jet going down the runway, that gives us an mm. idea on those numbers, which is just yeah. frightening. And I think if it was any other people group, you know, we would be we would be terrified. We'd say, what can we do to stop this from happening? But because there's that huge stigma that surrounds people who struggle with addiction, uh, oftentimes people just think, well, that they're, they're making that choice. They may have made that first choice, those first few choices, but after a while, when you become dependent on a chemical, on a substance, you can't tell me, Randy, that I can't have water. You, you can try to, but after two days, I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to lie to my family. I'm going to do what I have to do to get water because my body says, you have to have this. And it's, it's just people don't understand if they haven't been there. And it's an important conversation to have right now. I think one yes. of my biggest passions is to help those who maybe don't find themselves in this conversation to get in this conversation um, I, I, don't, I didn't mention, but about three or four years ago, um, I stopped traveling internationally because of this. 
when I found out how far-reaching the opioid epidemic had, had gotten, and I found out from my mom that heroin was found in, in the middle school that I went to in Jay County, you know, our hometown, because uh, I wrestled with, with both of your sons. <laughs> yep. I was I was just the right age to be able to be in Jay County wrestling with both of them. And um, my hometown means, a, means so much to me. And I thought, wow, this is no longer that story of people using a drug like this under some bridge in Manhattan. There's heroin being found in the middle school that I grew up in. And then all of a sudden it hit my family. And we had a loved one who we found out had been using prescription opioids that she had stolen from her mom when she was young. And, and that had led to a heroin and meth addiction. And so that's why uh, me and, and, you know, Eric Hartvig, uh, who's another Jay County grad, amazing uh, film producer and uh, works for WFYI PBS. And he, uh, he and I got together with Dimitri Morrison, Jacob Brown uh, from 2-8 Ministries, and we created a film concert experience to help people understand what was going on. Uh, we, we, we used live music. And then we used a lot of different interviews to just help people wake up in Indiana, how we've been affected. Because once once I realized that this was my story, I wanted to start telling people what was going on, yes. too, because we, we call that effort our story, our time. We just think it's so important right now to bring more people into this conversation. It was what, I think the year before COVID, maybe 2019, mm-hmm. where you came to Jay County High yep. School, did a presentation, which was phenomenal on behalf of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We had labeled it Connecting the Links, That's right. which is our yearly effort to bring that in together collectively. Yeah. That there are so many out there who can can and are a part of this, and that's what it's going to take to make the difference. Absolutely. Those resources and all of that. Tell us more about 2-8 Ministries, please. Yeah, you know, um, like a lot of things, uh, sometimes we, you ebb and flow with the seasons. And um, as somebody who, who comes from a, a, a faith background— uh, and, and we are a faith forward, you know, agency, we, we still, we, we wanted to find a way to step further into what was going on outside of the churches too. You know, we, we realized there are people who have been working on this at such a higher level. How can we help those who really have better, you know, eyes on this situation? And so we've been able to partner with some of our state leaders and just learn from them, like what is going on? What are, what are some ways that we as musicians, as musicianaries, if you want to say that, how can we use you know, art and, and film and music in a way uh, to, to help this. And one of the ways that we found that we fit in is there's a big educational piece. There's a big awareness oh, piece yes. that was just really, it's really, really hard to get people to come to a call-out meeting about opioids. Give me a break. How many people want to sign up for that? Even people who care about this don't want to go to that. And, and I hate to say it, but I, I went to every meeting I could for almost a year and a half to just learn because I had somebody I cared about who who was struggling with this. And every time I went to these meetings, all these really, really uh, elaborate charts and, and all this information and all this data and all these figures and all these numbers. And, and I had a face and a name. I didn't need a number. And and to me, I, I felt like this is not a, a head problem. This is a heart situation. We needed to hit the heart. So that's why we got together with Eric Hartvig and some other videographers and musicians to create a, a film experience that, that used the art of music and film together. We fundraised to get a 20-foot wide huge screen. It's like as big as a screen at the Ritz Theater that we're, we have in Jay County. And we and we take that around the, uh, around the state and we just help people finally sit down and hear what someone like you has been saying for years now. We need your help. We can't so at the end of the day, I'll put it this way. If the goal was just to get people sober, that doesn't fix the bigger problem. The, the real big problem is that there, there's a, I call it the ministry of reconciliation. 
Because once somebody gets sober, say they go through your chapter of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, which is all over the state now. It's in Ohio now. It's all over. I know more people who love Brianna's Hope, and I have to say, I know the guy who started it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from that town. Like, I'm so proud of this movement. This is so important to me, and it is working, and it is helping people. It's helped my family. It's helped people I know and love in other parts of the state to find their tools that they need to do this work. But let's say, let's take someone from one of your chapters. Let's say that they are now uh, back at work work. They're, they're parenting again. They're, they're present. They're doing the work. They're probably more uh, substance-free in their home than most other homes in, in their community. But because they have a background in this, they're still seen as somebody you can't trust. They're seen, like none of us want to be judged by our worst day or our, our struggle, you know? And we, we and so I just, I think it's really a ministry of reconciliation. And so I think it's going to take people outside of the recovery community saying, no, they're going to sit with me at church. They're coming to lunch with us because why is it someone's not allowed at your dinner table? You know, that's the kind of question I think we need to be asking right now. So I really want to see that happen. I want to see those who have been outside of this conversation come into this conversation and realize, wow, it's going to take us standing together and helping them come back into their community, find their place again. They shouldn't feel rejected or judged at their church anymore. They've gone through enough hell already. It's time to let them start building some healthy relationships, Bring their let other people's kids come to their house. And guess what? Kids need to learn about this stuff. And who are better people to talk about it than those who have been through it? They're going to learn about mm-hmm. it one place or the other. Yep. The need is for them to learn the truth about it. They're going to hear it on the bus. They're going to see it at school. I think the national average right now for addiction is like the second month of seventh grade, which is, you know, that's beyond me to recognize and realize. But the fact is, it's happening. When we do a presentation for the high school, then one for the middle school, we give the same presentation. Mm. We may change a word or two, but (laughs) they, they know far more than we wish they knew. Yeah. And experience has created a lot of that. You made mention there about that continued need for exposure, that continued need to reach out and to let ourselves get in, mm-hmm. get into those people, get yeah. into those situations. So I, I've witnessed change over the last six years. I've seen some of that Stigma disappear. Mm-hmm. It's got a long ways to go. The biases, you know, we're still dealing with all of that. But tell us about some of the lives maybe you've seen change mm-hmm. or what you've seen change in our culture in a positive way and mm-hmm. in the battle and the effort against yeah. addiction. Oh, I'm glad you asked that. One of the things that I find in the work that I do is I need this journey is as bad as the people work may need it that we're coming to help. So, for instance, one of the things that we focused on when we started meeting with uh, uh, one of our bureau chiefs at the time, Amy Brinkley, explained um, there's a real need for sober social events. That means let's throw a party that's sober because people are trying to stay sober, but a lot of times they, they don't get a chance to hear as, as many bands. They can't go to the bar where all the bands are playing. So we, we do music festivals. We do uh, concerts and things like that for the recovery community so they can have a chance to just hear some great music, have a lot of fun, share and celebrate those stories of life change that are happening in their life. And so that's one of our favorite things to do, our sober socials and recovery festivals, things like that. Uh, but another thing that we've started doing is overdose awareness events as well. And I won't lie, those are 
one of the saddest things I've ever been a part of. And um, we we had a chance this last winter to write music with Jason Roy, the lead singer of a Christian band, Building 429, that have won an award every decade. These guys are amazing. He's an amazing songwriter and just an amazing man of God. And, and he had a heart to help us write an anthem for this for this work that we were doing. And I said, I want an anthem for, for the men and women in Indiana right now who are in this battle. Because I don't, I don't, as a, somebody who's been in ministry a long time like you, Randy, I don't buy the Disney gospel. Oh, you know, before Jesus, my life was all horrible. And then I found him and it was great. I felt more depression and heartache and loss that I've gone through harder seasons following him than ever before, because it's not easy. He promised it wouldn't be easy, but I finally have something to stand on that when those storms come, there's something secure enough that, and a hope that runs deep enough that meets me in that place. And so Jason Roy just helped create a language for some of the, I told him, I said, that's the kind of song we want. We don't want to write the songs about, oh, I was lost and now I'm found and happy and it's all rainbows and sunshine. No, I want the hope that meets us there. And so he helped us write uh, three songs and we, we can put a link in the um, in the show notes if you'd like to where people can hear these songs. But, but language like, you're a river of hope running through a canyon of fear. That's what I need. I don't need hope when everything's going great. I need it when I'm in the canyon of fear. Uh, and one of the songs that he, he really helped us uh, bring to life is the song, You're In This. And his dad came from substance abuse. I didn't realize that. And so he, he just has this great um, story happening that, that I think we all resonate with, whether you come out of this or not. So we have these songs that we, we did. And so we would do this. We did this tour last the last two months for uh, August and September. I mean, I, I barely got to see my family or anything. We were just out working with recovery efforts all over the state, doing shows online, stuff like this, too. Even got to go on the new uh, Indianapolis fashion show, Indy Now. Ryan Alwart's one of the, the hosts down there for that. And um, just so neat to see people wanting to talk about this. But I won't lie, my favorite part was getting to hear these stories of life change each time we went to these places. So in Brown County, met a gentleman who's only been uh, clean for, I believe, 60 days when I met him. And oh my goodness, the fire in that man. And he said, I was so done with my life. And I knew he was involved in gangs and violence and and, um, up in a part of our state that's known for that. And and he was saying, I, I was so done and I didn't want my family to have to go through anymore. And he knew that there were going to be consequences if, if he was found because he was involved in some, some things sure. that he should have been. He tried to drive himself into a telephone pole. Didn't, didn't work. For some reason, he wakes up and he's fine. He tries to slit his wrist and he showed me the wounds and, and it didn't take. And all of a sudden he finds himself um, in recovery. He's a part of an incredible um, housing recovery men's housing down in Columbus, Indiana. And he is one of many men down there that just, ha- you can just feel the joy off of these guys. They found life again and they're not letting it go. They're holding on to it with everything they got. And they're sharing that vibrance, that, that life, that new life that they found. You know how bad I need to hear that story? And someone like you needs to hear that story? Because I remember when I found it, but it's been a long time since I've been around that fresh zeal. And, and I, I've never seen a man with more tattoos, face tattoos, all of it, crying in a worship song outside. You know, I mean, he just, he loves recovery. He loves the life he found. There's another uh, young man that I met when we were in Fort Wayne doing one of these overdose awareness events. And um, I won't say his name just for privacy's sake, if he wants to share this with others, you know, but <clears throat> I met him and his mom and he came up after our set and said, I love your band. How can I find your music online? I'm like, oh, thanks. Are you a musician too? He goes, no, I'm here because my little brother was 14 and he, he died of an overdose. Mm. 
14 mm. years old, because I'm looking at this young man, I'm like, well, you've got to be 18 or less. Like, how could you have a little brother that died? 14 years old is how old his little brother was when he passed. And, and somebody uh, had given him a pill. And he thought, I, I don't remember what he thought it was, but that's all it took. There was enough fentanyl in that thing to take his life. And the pills are, are one of the things that's killing so many uh, students right now because they just they have no idea what they're getting into, what those things are laced with. And so in that particular county, Allen County in Fort Wayne, they lost over 100 people last year to, to fatal overdoses. A lot of it is considered fentanyl poisoning. Yes. And, and you just story after story, family after family sharing the heartache and the loss that they're experiencing because of this. And there's pictures that were printed out and they were put, and this was on the, the, the steps of the courthouse. It was awesome. They did it right. It needs to be front and center. We need to be talking about this in the public square, and it was. But I'll tell you what, that young man I talked to, um, I found out that day when I talked to his mom that he was still actively using. And that doesn't mean he was using right there at that event. Active addiction means you're not in recovery yet. You're not ready for it. You're still actively using. Um, you're still looking for your next hit, your next fix. And I said, brother, what are you doing? Your mom has already lost your brother. Like, she cannot lose you. And I told him, I said, I know what it feels like to pray for somebody you love so much every single day for them not to die. Don't do that to her. Why don't you go back to, you know, rehab? Well, I've tried rehab. It didn't work. Well, what about, you know, I've tried that. It didn't work. I've tried, you know, methadone. I've tried the chemically assisted, you know, options. Like, none of it worked for me. Try it again. And, and Randy, the next day I got a text from him, and he said he was done putting his family through this, and he was ready to go back to rehab. That was worth three years of doing this for me. That is why we do what we do. That one person, that one piece of hope. Yep. And that continues to energize me each time, Eric. Me too. Uh, you hear that victory story. I met someone just last evening in Lafayette, Indiana, that had been through it all, and now it's climbing above it. And the joy that you could hear from her, the peace you could see in her eyes, and the hope in the just her package yep. was wow that's that's why you stay at it i want to be like these people i'm serious these are some of the best people i know because you see some of the best in humanity when you realize how much of a gift life is oh yes when you meet somebody who is that grateful for their next breath who is that grateful to just not be drunk to not be in that old bondage that they were so used to that is so addictive they're living a better life than i am you know what I mean? Like my advice might not be an opioid or heroin or meth or, or alcohol as much, but Netflix, uh, the addiction to me and just what I want to do. And, um, you know, it's just amazing. These people have found a different way of living, and I think it's contagious. I love being around it. I, I'm very selfish. I'll t I always tell people I'm a selfish missionary. My faith needs this work. Whether it's being overseas and meeting someone in China, you know, discovering the gospel for the first time, or it's meeting someone who discovered true life for the first time, because that's what Jesus came to offer, was true life to set captives free. And when you see it, it brings these old scriptures to life, and my faith really needs that. I do want to be honest, though, because I, I don't want to ever, like, give that Disney gospel. That young man I'm talking about, he did go to uh, rehab, and I am so proud of him. But, I mean, that was the first show of our tour— and, and by the third or fourth show, I got a text from his mom that he had relapsed. And at one of the halfway houses he was at, he got drugs there. And he was making the death rattle. I mean, she thought she was going to lose him. Um, thank God he's still alive. 
and he's able to fight another day. But again, I'm going to point out that difference between choosing to say I'm in active addiction or I'm in recovery, because unfortunately, sometimes relapse is part of recovery. Absolutely. We see that all the time. It seems like the, you know, the statistic continues to change, but it's nothing for someone to hit seven, eight, even more uh, rehabs before they can connect with the recovery they're hoping to keep a hold of. But man, to just stay in that fight, to stay in that fight. And and there's other tools out there. I I love collecting tools, Randy. I don't know about you. I have way too many tools and I'm not handy at all. I just go to Lowe's and I see all these tools. I'm like, surely one day I'll need this amazing thing. But like when it comes to recovery or just life, we need better tools. And and I think it's so great the tools that A Better Life Brand is Hope is is giving people. And and there's other ones out there too. There's great podcasts like this and resources you can find online that are that are helpful for a time like this where we can't maybe be in as constant contact as maybe we have been in the past. If that's something you're struggling with, you're someone who's maybe at an age or you're in a place with your health where it's maybe not safe for you to be in public as much, there's tools for that now, how to do this work in isolation or online. And so, yeah, I just encourage people to keep getting the tools, find out how it works for you. I can't wait for this young man to really get into his swing. And I hope he's not so set back by that discouragement uh, that he doesn't keep fighting. Yeah, I like the idea of the tools, and I see that toolbox that mm-hmm. you carry them in, and then you hunt for that right one for that moment for yep. the right job, and recovery is that. Mm-hmm. And that tool's going to look different to you than well to me. You may need a Phillips. I may need a slot head, okay? <laughs> uh, but as long as we both get the job done, and that what we want? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, wow, you've talked with uh, with a great deal of hope here, Eric, and encouragement. What What is your biggest fear right now for the addiction community as, you know, in general? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, this might be a bad answer, but I have less fear for the addiction recovery community and more fear for those who are just scared to join it. They, they still see this as some, oh, if I go to this this meeting and I become labeled and I and now I'm with those people, like that's my biggest fear is that wall won't come down or it's going to take too long for too many people to just have the humility and the teachable spirit to say, I've got a problem bigger than me and I need help and I need to be around people that are walking that that higher road, that better life. And, and when I'm around the addiction recovery community, I'm telling you, there is so much hope, Randy. I have a lot of faith for that. But there is this in-between group of people that they have a substance use disorder and they are terrified to say it. And their family pays for it. They pay for it. Um, and it's just, it doesn't have to be like that. And I think if there was anything I would ask of the addiction recovery community is you have tremendous strength and you have walked through a fire that's harder than uh, most life challenges. A lot of people have been through the resiliency you have, you need, you need to help others find it and you need to help others. Like how can you get them into your group in a way that maybe they would feel comfortable with? Maybe there's a way for the addiction recovery community to get so clever that people don't even realize they just fell in to a recovery meeting and it was, Maybe do the bait and switch like we do in ministry. Oh, you're just going to tell me about Jesus. No, no, I just want to have a cup of coffee. By the way, ever heard about Jesus? You know, let's get creative. But there are families really, really suffering because there's a lot of people with just enough pride 
to not want to ask for help. We're not good at that as Americans, Randy. We want to show everybody we don't need help. Exactly. John Wayne. I think part of that comes from the idea that, number one, we don't want to admit it. Number two, when we do, then somebody kicks us even harder. Mm-hmm. Instead of lifting us up or encouraging, I remember a time where when a young lady, if she became with child, she disappeared for nine months and then came back and that, that yeah. baby was present and families didn't talk about it. I remember within the last six or seven years, the idea if you had a family member who was struggling with addiction, substance use disorder, you had to whisper it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't dare say it out loud. But now mm-hmm. you can stand and say it. I don't mean mm-hmm. you scream it with pride, but you can scream it with the hope of finding help. Yeah. And so together we're able to do that. And I think that's a part of that breakdown of the bias and the stigma. As we said, it's got a long to go, but we're getting there. Yeah. And I like what you said about your respect for those in recovery because I have said 35 years of ministry, active pulpit ministry, in the last nearly, you know, we're just finishing up seven years, our eighth year is about to begin, actually. Today, mm, okay, we awesome. begin that eighth year. But it's the idea, the honesty that I have seen in those who struggle with addiction. I rarely got that kind of honesty on a Sunday morning in church, right. Eric. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that That's sad to say, and I know some people are shaking their head, but uh, I won't fill in the details, but I can honestly say that. Yeah, and, and we're recording here in Anderson, and, and this is where who I would call my recovery pastor, Danny Barrett, um, brought me into his Celebrate Recovery, amazing ministry right here in Anderson, um, and and I just fell in love with those people. I. I, I personally am not somebody who's, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a member of the recovery community. I, I'm, I'm like a groupie. I, I love it. I'm addicted to the kind of life that this brings about. And, and so in a way, I am a member if they'll have me, but I, I come for different reasons. What I love about Celebrate Recovery and A Better Life for Anna's Hope is it doesn't just stop with the substance abuse. It goes into life skills. It goes into things like, um, you know, what does it look like to have more purity, to have more self-control in other areas, whether it's food and things that maybe not, aren't illegal, but they can be destructive to marriages and relationships and uh, self-esteem and all these things. And, and so I, I'm just grateful to, to Pastor Danny Barrett for, for just bringing me into this family. And I will tell you, that was the best picture of church I've ever seen because I was in a group of, of men and we'd stand up at the end, we're holding hands, saying the Lord's Prayer. And I'm obviously the shortest guy in that room. Everybody's this big, burly man and, and just the strength in numbers. But everyone in that room didn't lead with their accomplishments. I didn't even know what they did for work. Some of them make a lot of money, but they would come in there and they would lead as... I'm a, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus who's recovering from X, Y, and Z. That's what they led with. What would it look like to, to be in a group of that kind of humility? I just don't see it very often outside no. the recovery community. And aren't we all in some form of recovery? Absolutely. You know, some type of PTSD, be it a, a breakdown of a marriage, being mm-hmm. at uh, the abandonment of a child or that child abandoning the parents, being at the loss of a job when your livelihood depended on it, all of that together. And I... You know, it's not the same journey, but there's a lot of parallel steps in my mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we've just got to continue to move forward with all of it. And, you know, when there's someone out there like 2-8 Ministries that we can call upon, how would people get a hold of you, Eric, if, you know, what you're saying here today is something they yeah. want to know more about? Oh, they, they can email me directly just at eric at 2-8ministries.com. You just spell that out. It's not the—it stands for Psalms 2-8. Ask me for the nations. We wanted to— um, help be a part of of using music to bring the, the message of hope to to places in the world where often the Christian message isn't allowed. Well, musicians can get on platforms that missionaries can't sometimes. So that's why sometimes being a musicianary works better. So we we stuck with that name. Uh, Psalm Psalm 2-8, Ask Me for the Nations, is what we're uh, named after. So yeah, just 2-8 Ministries spelled out. Um, and just eric2ministries.com is my personal email. Please email me, ask me any question you have, or if you would um, like for us to help in any way, or you want to do an event in your community, uh, what we do is we, we bring the party with a purpose. We have a full PA and a production team that has lighting. And I mean, we it's just really expensive, Randy, to get a full sound system and stage and lighting and bands on site. It's a, it's an expensive thing. And, and I've been a part of the for-profit side of music too, with the, the local band Milo Rickshaw down in Indianapolis with Nathan Clapp who's also from Jay County. Yes. And we have a lot of fun, you know, and I did that for um, almost eight years and uh, still do some shows with them every now and then. But I mean, it's an expensive band. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was find a way to uh, make that excellence and that experience uh, affordable for recovery uh, ministries and communities and efforts that don't really have that budget. We'd rather see that budget go towards helping families like what you guys do. So we wanted to find a way to, to beat up those prices and, and still bring great music and parties. So let us know if that's something you want to do in your community. And if, if it doesn't work on our calendar, we know other people that are doing it too. Uh, but this is so fun to do it together. And I really feel like uh, one of the things I love about my job is as a musician, you know, we use music to bring people back together. And at the end of the day, that's all this is. Let's come back together. The recovery community, the non-recovery community, those in active addiction, let's all just come together in some shared spaces and let's have this greater conversation. Um, and, and I love when that happens. I, I had a blast doing Connecting the Links with you. Uh, so many people came to that event that are not from the recovery community. And it was just such, it was exactly what we want to see happen around the state. And it also gives us a chance to give someone like you a platform and a chance to say what you've been saying for a long time to people who are now ready to hear it. You know, Oh, it's, it's a great combination. And I can assure you folks that it, there's nothing second rate about what they bring. When 2A came to us during our Connecting the Links event at Jay County High School, the auditorium, we had about 600 people there on a Sunday night. And it was just phenomenal and the the positive ripple effect afterwards the lives it touched the lives it changed and i continue to be you know positive there were lives that it saved that we'll never know about that's okay we need that for our yeah. humility sometimes all right so eric what what else might you like to say or how would you like to kind of wrap this up boy that's a great question i i think um, to just reiterate that that sobriety is not the end goal here. Um, that actually the end goal is is just to be the best version of ourselves that we were created to be. And every single person listening to this is is given tremendous gifts too. And if we all just did our little part, like again, I, I always tell people, I'm not somebody who has the ability to change policy. I'm not in politics. I'm not somebody who can who can launch a statewide recovery effort like you did, Randy. I'm a musician. I have a guitar, and I have I have friends that are really good musicians, and I just took that tool, 
And I looked around and I saw that my backyard was on fire. That's why we stopped traveling internationally was I realized my state right now is hurting so bad. It's time to take those resources and stop traveling and just spend some time in our backyard and, and to just help us use what we have in our hands to help the next person. And, and whoever you are listening to this, please, please do that. Don't just focus on getting sober, staying sober, finding that next chip, but really start the journey of who did God make you to be? This podcast, I love that you're not shying away from the faith conversation. There is something inside of you that when when Holy Spirit just ignites those gifts and that DNA that is unique to you, there is a version of heaven that's going to come out of you, whether it's helping serve people with your hands, whether it is being a musician like me and, and your voice, whether it is someone like Randy who just was called to leave a pulpit and, and to step into um, a new room. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to do that. I love seeing bridge builders. I think that that's one of the things we can use our tools for right now. If there's anything we really need as a state, we need to keep building these bridges. The conversation's getting louder. The stigma is going down some. But now we need the recovery community to start inviting us in. Because I'm going to tell you, it's still a little closed off. Until I was invited Oops. in by Danny Barrett, I never got to see how beautiful it was. And so I don't know. I know everybody wants to keep it anonymous, but, you know, there was one group that we love down in Brown County called Recover Out Loud, man. And they are great. They're like, we don't want to do it anonymously. We want to do it loud because people need to know how great this is. And, and what it's doing is it's also allowing that message and that conversation to go farther out into their community. And it's making an impact down there. You know, I, I like what you've got to say there. And I like the way you drew in so many other recovery ministries, efforts and movements, because as we know, not one size fits all. And mm -hmm. we just want to find the one that will fit you. And this is a great way for us to be about that. A final question, Eric. As you know, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. Mm -hmm. If you only read that title, how would you define it? Faith in Your Recovery. Yes, sir. Wow. That's a great question. Um I guess it does kind of depend on which uh, recovery, you know, effort you're a part of. That I'm so glad that Better Life, Brianna's Hope, doesn't minimize faith. And at the same time, we can sometimes make it so about faith that we miss out on the importance of recovery being what it is. Um, but they're they're very intertwined, Randy. I I, I was just reading a, a a spin on the Twelve Steps by Richard Rohr, uh, a Franciscan monk who's who's not somebody from the recovery world. And he expounded on these 12 steps and, and the enlightenment that is in recovery. Like, you cannot separate these two. I just don't—and and everybody I've personally met in recovery, every single one of them, even the ones that I'm waiting to say, oh, we don't really talk about our faith because I work for the state of Indiana. You know, I'm like, these bureau chiefs—no, they all have a faith journey. So I don't see it separated, but I do see recovery as— um, from what I've experienced in, in my personal recovery journey, too, being a part of it— it is just like putting jet fuel in a lawnmower engine. I mean, you want to take you want to take your your faith and make it bigger. Well, start adding some recovery principles. You want to take your recovery and make it better. Start adding faith to it because it is they're made to work together. I mean, this is a this is a spirit issue, and um, I, I always go back to what begin with the end in mind. Maybe you started your recovery journey because you just didn't want to be this version of yourself anymore, or you were going to lose your job or your family, whatever it was. Maybe there was some incentive to get in there. But begin with the end in mind. The end goal should be the image of Christ. And you might not even be a Christian, and that doesn't—that's okay. Like, that's okay. The, what is the image of Christ? It's the image of humanity that's the best version of ourselves that says, you know what? The least is actually the greatest. 
The least of these, the greatest. Jesus lowered himself so much in humility that the poor were not poor to him. There was no one he wouldn't talk to, love on, hang out with, and empower. He lifted everyone up, every culture, every every, uh, people group, women, slaves, all of them. And at the same time, he also walked with so much confidence and dignity that he opposed those who were wielding power in a way that were suppressing people. So we see this this combination of humility and power, and I see that in recovery. And I'm telling you, that's a spirit thing, too. We, we need to be the best version of ourselves, and that's the image of Christ in each of us. So I've always believed that we should seek to be the me that God created us yep. to be. Yep. I, I think I hear you And it's a lot that. of fun. Like, it, it doesn't look like a judgy Christian. It actually looks like a really, really free person, like the guy I met down in Brown County. I'm like, you— you could not experience what he's experiencing without that faith side. If he would have just done the recovery, I'm telling you, that vibrancy coming off of him, there were supernatural things that kept that man alive, Randy. There yeah. were two things that happened in the same day that should have killed him. And God preserved his life. And now his testimony ministered more to our team that day than anything we had to offer. Use your story. Tell your story. We Don't minimize it. it. Yep. Well, we need to hear it yep. just as you needed to hear it from him and our audience needs to hear it from us as our, Absolutely. as a relay on his voice. So, yep. uh, folks, thanks for tuning in. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. If we're worth your time and we challenge your head and heart, please leave us a five-star rating. Click like, download, and subscribe. That kind of support will help us move forward in a way that will allow us to touch change and save even more lives. If you're interested in finding out more about A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, check out our website at abl bh.org we'd welcome the opportunity to discuss the possibility of one of our chapters in your community we're excited to let you know that we're into our eighth year and we're looking forward to each and every opportunity to share and meet folks in the struggle so we can be a part of that recovery don't give up on yourself don't give in to the urge your answer your healing your recovery may be just around the next corner. Who knows? Maybe in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Believe and keep fighting the battle. Eric, let folks know how we're going to finalize this one today. You got it. Yeah, I just want to thank you again for having me on the show, Randy. And if anybody wants to check out, learn more about 28 Ministries, you can visit our website at 28ministries.com as well. And um, I, I just wanted to be able to share one of the songs that we recorded with Jason Royce. So we're going to roll a song here to end the episode. And this song is called River of Hope. Wrote it with Jason and the the lead guitar player too, Jesse Garcia, is also playing keys on this. He's, he's amazing. So wanted to share this with you guys. This is a river of hope. Don't